want you to listen. Then what? Share it. The Melbourne Youth and Social Workers Group and the Knowledge on Tick podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, the Boonarong and Wurundjeri people, their elders past and present. We would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the land, her children and our families. We would like all of us to show respect for each other, Mother Nature and the creatures on the land and the sea. Hey everyone, the Melbourne Youth and Social Work Facebook group would like to welcome you to the Knowledge on Tick podcast. We are Josh and Nat and we will be your co-hosts for the potty. Knowledge on Tick is a podcast offering real-life conversations and insights every week with workers in the field covering a range of topics surrounding the youth and social work world. We are so grateful to have you here and happy listening. Hi guys, welcome back to the Knowledge on Tick podcast. We're joined today by the fabulous Natalie, two nats for the price of one, and Josh, obviously. Can't <laughs> forget Josh. <laughs> so welcome. Would you like to tell us a little bit about who you are, Nat? Yeah, what brings sure. you here? So I am Natalie, the second nat. <laughs> um, I am currently working in a statutory role at the moment, but my background is in AOD and mental health, um, mm. and I'm actually a qualified teacher and social worker as well. So I've been in the community sector for probably the last six, seven years. Awesome. And in a shit ton of debt. Yes. <laughs> so much debt. <laughs> probably won't pay it off, but that's okay. Thank you. Who'd you study with? Uh, Deacon Thanks, and Deacon. Vic Uni. See you later. <laughs> At least I got free goodies, you know. It's positives. You did. Yeah. you got to pick the good wins. you got to pick the good wins. That's it. Um, so as we pre-warned you appropriately, we start <laughs> off every potty with a couple of icebreaky sort of questions. Yep. Um, are you, Go for it. you want me to start? Yeah. Cool. Tell us about what your parents did for work. Yeah, sure. So my mum was a stay-at-home mum, um, when I entered this world, mm-hmm. um, but she also works in childcare. Um, so she's worked in childcare for bloody most of her life to be mm. honest um and worked in Urella as well which is um a childcare for kids with disabilities as well oh. um and then she was a stay-at-home parent for us three kids because I've got two siblings two older siblings um and she raised us and did a lot of babysitting for other families at schools and stuff um so yeah she's a pretty wicked woman um, I can concur she's the best. She is. She's a pretty cool person. <laughs> um, and my dad, I don't have heaps to do with, to be honest. <laughs> um, he's not employed at the moment um, and he's probably battling his own demons in himself. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty much just been a lead woman role, to be yeah. honest, in my little family and um, that's okay. Yeah. yeah. Powered a mum. Powered the mum. Mm-hmm. Powered the single mum. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah. Mom, yeah, absolutely. They yeah. produce some pretty good kids. They do. I they feel do. like they do. Some pretty mm-hmm. emotional kids. They're <laughs> on to it. Too much for women. Who is the most famous or well-known person in your phone book? Oh, see, this is a question that I, like, I've been just thinking about for a while because I went through my like contact list and I was like, I don't know anyone. Like, <laughs> I'm a bit of a grandma. Um, but I guess 
the, probably the, when you look at the most well-known, I would say um, a community elder, um, Miriam Rose from Darwin. Mm. Um, she has her own foundation online um, and she speaks a lot about um, Didiri and which is like mindfulness and just kind of sitting in silence and the deep listening and stuff. So she was an elder that I had a lot of um, I had a lot to do with when I um, did a, my one of my teaching placements up in Daly River, um, and just a lady of many wise words. Um, and yeah, she's in my call list, and I think she's pretty famous because she has a website. Yeah, I make you famous. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, I think so. Did, That's did awesome. You, um, did you let everybody know the foundation name? They want to check it out. Yeah. Yeah. So it's Miriam Rose Foundation, okay. um, and she supports a lot of Aboriginal remote communities. Um, through education, so she's got a PhD in education, um, and then does does a lot of side stuff and does a lot of tours of the community and just helps people to, like to teach them about culture and community. Um, and yeah, she was pretty awesome with my journey up there and made me very welcome. So I'm very grateful. She probably doesn't remember me, but she's still yeah. on my call list. So. Hey, we had this big <laughs> chat wins. actually last potty <laughs> with Dan about sometimes the pieces of pieces of advice or the things that we do for people to us are menial but to that person oh. uh, absolutely fucking astronomical absolutely so, absolutely yeah. it's good it's good so next one what job wouldn't you do <laughs> I well back when I was like what is it when you're in year 10 you have that work experience yeah yeah, yeah so yeah. I always wanted to be a vet because <laughs> I love animals and you I was do. like this is gonna be the best job ever like I'm gonna love it and be so excited going to work and my placement. But I ended up crying every day. <laughs> <laughs> I think when you like think of a vet, you think that you just get to be around animals and it's really happy. Um, but you don't factor in that those animals are sick. Um, <laughs> and that sometimes, yeah, sometimes they don't make it through. And oh, I think, babe. yeah, it was just, just <laughs> it wasn't fun. Um, and it completely steered my direction into a different pathway which is fine but I would never do like that like that kind of line of work and I take my hat off to any veterinarians because I think that would be a bloody hard job mm. um and one that I'm not emotionally equipped for yeah mm. yeah so I said you just started to deal with human beings yeah yeah much easier <laughs> can't 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 cope with the animals give with the humans <laughs> you know yeah. the animals are just too hard for me yeah. Too and complex. I've been known for the young people I work with to transport a lot of animals to make sure they're in a safe oh. environment and um, I get caught out way too often. So, yeah, anyone that's worked with me knows that I have, yeah, a very soft spot for animals, especially when I arrive late to coming to work because I saved one on the side of the road. You are very well known yeah. for um, rescuing animals. Yeah. Well, that happened at our office recently. So, mm. um, someone... Saw a little kitten, um, oh. like under one of the um, like the underpass near yep. work, and they brought it in. And we had a cat a while ago that died. Um, yeah, and she was the sweetest little thing. And I saw this cat. And I fell in love with it in a second. Yeah, I got into work and Josh was walking around cradling it like a baby. <laughs> yeah, it's downhill from there. It's yeah. coming home with you. <clears throat> yeah. So it did, did and it? It did, and it's the best cat. And yes, his so name good. is Moo. Moo. It has like really beautiful patterns, and on the side of the vets that um, looked after it while we were deliberating with yep. the mission take it. So they called it Moo because it looked like it had a cat's, uh, like a cow's eye on the side. Yep. Um, but it's it's so placid and, um, like, my kids, like, just pick it up and put in oh. things and it's just, like, a super chiller. I um, love that. Yeah, it's pretty cute. One funny thing, though, is it's, like, you can tell it's, like, a bit of a good cat because <laughs> it just eats, like, human food and it eats the dog food. 
Like, it's, yeah, it just does whatever it wants. But apart from that, it just sleeps all day. I hope he remembers, like, Jenny from the block right Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, literally, when I was working in my previous role with Nat, um, I had to call her on the way to work because I was like, someone's hit this German shepherd. They've hit, a, yeah. they've hit a dog and they've just driven off. And it was in peak hour traffic and I had, like, a little, like, a like when I say four-wheel drive, like a little tiny four-wheel drive. And I coerced this, like, German shepherd, which is huge, into my car and I got it in my car and it was bleeding everywhere and I was crying. I was bawling my eyes out and I took it to a pet shop because I was in such a, like, I was just so nervous that I'm like, I need to take it somewhere. But I took it to a pet shop, which was clearly closed. Yeah. And then Nat finally helped me find a vet. So I took it to the vet to get some help and then just kept repeating like it wasn't me, like I didn't hit the dog, like look at my car. You were very paranoid that when you got to the emergency vet that they yeah. would think you hit the dog? Yeah, I checked in like every hour and I was like, you know, if you can't find its owners, I'll I will take, take it on. on. Like it's okay, like I'll do it. I didn't consult with my partner or anything. No. I just, you like, nah. You don't need to. <laughs> you just got to be you quick, you know. you got to send them a photo and then they fall in love with it. Yeah. And then it's all over. 100%. But also be aware of who you're dating. If you're dating someone who's willing to bring a stray animal home, that's on you. Yeah, exactly. With, and that's me. Start, I'm, I'm the home bringer of animals. People are going to be like going on dates and they'll be like, what do you do for work experience? Yeah. <laughs> What's your in? background, eh? Yeah. yeah, just in case. Just oh, checking, so just checking. Um, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Um, it's so hard because I've received so much advice. But I guess, like, a quote that's always, well, that stood by me for a little bit is be a priority in your own life. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes when we're in these roles, like, especially myself, I invest so much, um, I care way too much and I just put everything in and then I forget to do stuff for myself and I forget to realise that it's okay to feel anxious from a really hard day at work. It's okay to feel like crap. Um... And it's just important around doing things for yourself. And I think you guys have spoken in some of your other podcasts. Like, even if that's just sitting on the couch and watching a movie, like, mm. do things that are gonna that are right for that moment. Yeah. And it's okay to be vulnerable. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Good one. It's, it's. I love hearing that because we've had we have asked that question a few times. And of course, in this field, there's always pieces of pieces of advice that, um, like, long-standing staff members try yeah. and give the new staff members and what have you. And pretty consistently we're hearing from people that their um, pieces of advice that they have heard and they take on and then share with other people are around well-being yep. of yourself, self-care, um, that sort of stuff, which and I've joked before and said it could so easily be make sure you do your cases yep. before you go home, make yeah. sure you check in with all your clients, make sure you're here on time, you know, all these yep. other kind of um, yep. business yep. sort of suggestions which of course are important absolutely but you are the most important person so that's yeah that's it. a really good one nice yeah mm. and I think a mentor said to me once like it's okay to be vulnerable like it's okay to not be okay I think sometimes we just think that we have to pretend like we have to put on this face and be okay with things um but yeah it's the power in saying that you're not okay is it takes a lot more than pretending like everything's okay mm. yeah. yeah and so much more important 100%. as well just yeah. be real. Yeah. Harder to do than, oh. than just say, but absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, so what was your aha moment? Yeah, I don't <laughs> You've had heaps. It's such a tough one for me because I was always like that, like I was that little kid that would stop because there was worms crossing on a footpath and I'd quickly wait so no one would crush them. 
I was that person that wrote a letter to some president of some country to stop like dog fighting and then like sent it around my school like just to get little signatures and stuff and I was that person that used to like set up my own little like counselling spot for kids in school like but yet I never clicked that that was my pathway I still thought I was going to be a PE teacher (laughs) so like it like I think it clicked after like I was in a few relationships and I realised hang on a minute like this is definitely one-sided I think I'm someone's counsellor here Mm. rather than an actual relationship um, but yeah, I like fully went in and studied to be like a PE teacher, did my whole qualification and everything. And I was still like, yeah. And then I think it, it clicked on a couple of placements where I was just like, I just want to work with the kid, the kids getting kicked out of my classroom. Mm. Um, and the kids that aren't able to stay in my classroom or are getting suspended or expelled, they're the ones I wanted to work with, um, rather than, yeah, the kids that could make it on time every day, that had clean clothes, that had food. Like, it, of course, it's still a priority and I take my hat off to all teachers because it's a really hard job to do. Yeah. But it just wasn't something that I was passionate about, like making le- like lesson plans. I just wasn't fond of it and I was always forever that person, you know, outside talking to that person that was crying or talking to that person that had difficulties and it was weird because sometimes that was a lot harder to, to, to do than the actual teaching side of things, but my heart was in it, so I liked it so much more. Yeah. Um, and I have so many teacher friends at the moment and they're all like, we don't know how you do what you do. And I'm like, well, I don't know how you do what you, what do, you do because I can't, yeah, I can't sit in a classroom for that amount of time and teach kids, you know, because I'm technically qualified for high school and primary school <laughs> in history <laughs> and PE, which, yeah, it's just really funny. <laughs> Does that mean you did a degree in, like, primary education and secondary education? Yeah. No, so it was, like, a P to 12, so prep to 12, and then you got to, like, specialise in two, like, areas. So I specialise in history. Like, if you knew me, I don't know anything about the world. (laughs) Like, I'm pretty bad. I think I was just like, this is so cool. Like, this, like, how cool am I doing history? Yeah. Um, Probably not that cool because I didn't know much. Um, the history teachers at my school were notoriously cool. Yeah, literally. I was <laughs> just thinking, I, as soon as you said that, I thought back to my history teachers and they were the coolest motherfuckers <laughs> going around. Maybe so if you're going to be I a thought. teacher. I feel like because there's that saying, you know, those yeah. who can't do teach and those who can't teach, teach sport, right? Yeah, I know. So, and that's it. And I think everyone was always like, how can you teach? Like you can't even spell. Like how can you teach? Like you make up words. And I was like, no, I can teach because, like, I can relate to the kids. Yeah. And I can actually engage them. Like, I think engaging a kid is so much more important than being able to, like, bloody memorise a history book. Like, obviously that would probably be important for a history teacher. There's a curriculum you'd have to follow, absolutely. (laughs) There's probably probably some knowledge you need there. But I just feel like I kind of wanted to prove people wrong because I guess a lot of my life I kind of made myself – the front of a lot of jokes because mm. I am that jokey person. I'm, I'm sarcastic and I just loved watching people laugh. But then I was like, shit, I think I've gone too far and I think I've teased myself too much. So now everyone's like, teacher. <laughs> so then I just, it was like I had to finish it. So I, I did yeah. and then didn't stay. So then I went in and did my Master of Social Work and I hated that too as well, to be honest. I struggled studying in that master space because people were like, 
you know, you need to get these grades or you need to write like this to be a good social worker, even though I was already working in the field when I was studying my master's. I was at a school as a welfare officer and I was like, but I'm like, I'm achieving these things mm-hmm. without having to um, completely go through a textbook or to regurgitate that information. Like, I just don't understand. Um, so I think I that's a really them. awesome point to make, though, in that there is some people that study that are very academically inclined that will get the HDs and they will smash their coursework. Um, And then there's, you know, I hated school. Like, you know, I I did all right at school and, you know, there's a bit of an inside joke in my family because I got an award in year 12 for having 100% attendance and all my friends were, you know, (laughs) not at school doing cool things. So you literally got an award for participation award. Yeah, and got presented. Just to clarify, I got presented in front of assembly of the whole school. How embarrassing. Oh, my sister was oh. like, you should be embarrassed. That's deplorable. I'm like, uh, <laughs> I am, obviously. I'm actually surprised that you made it every day. Excuse you. <laughs> but, like, formal education wasn't for me. That wasn't my vibe. So when I left and went to uni, yeah. you know, there was a lot of people in my family or my friends that were just like, but you fucking hated school. Like, yeah. you were out. Why are you Your going back? Why aren't you? Exactly. And, and I think for me, you know, I didn't, I loved uni for a lot of reasons, like the connection and, you know, the different learning and being able to pick your subjects and whatever else. But at the core of that, it wasn't because I fucking loved education. Like it wasn't. And I think it's really important for people to know. And I think there's, you know, there's new emerging students that listen to the podcast and that are in the the Facebook group that it's okay to not love education and to not love that, that learning environment and that um, modality of how you're learning. And, I think now there's a lot of different ways, but back in my day when I was at uni, you couldn't study majority of courses by correspondence. You had to go in every day and sit in a lecture hall and do the assignments and, you know, there are the competitive people that are like, I got a HD and, you know, I think me and my friends at uni were like, P's get degrees. Absolutely, but then you'd secretly be disappointed when you got a P. Yeah. You'd be like, oh, I really wanted a HD on that one. I mean, you always want the HDs, but they're just not always achievable. But I think that's important for people to know that it's not... It's not necessarily the formal education system isn't for everybody, and it's okay to sit with a little discomfort. Well, I even laughed to people because I didn't even do year twelve, and then I went on and did two mm. uni degrees. Mm. Um, I went, I dropped out and went to like a soccer school. Yeah, right. <laughs> really random. Yeah, because I was like, yeah, soccer. I'm going to be a PE teacher. Um, and then I ended up going to uni and doing that. And I remember I made a bet with one of my lecturers that I was. Yeah, had a pretty close relationship with actually um, that went to, he took us up to the remote community um, and we did our last teaching block there. So we lived and taught up there for six weeks. And I made a bet. I was like, I, I bet you anything that for this whole year, I'm not going to do not one um, reading. I forget what they're actually called now. What are they like? a Like an assignment? Or? No, what are the readings that are attached to every uni? I've completely like a... Like your, like your mandated readings. So, like, you for teaching, you had to do, like, one every week for, for over the year, right? So I was like, I, I want to just make a bet that I'm going to do no readings for the entire year and I'm still going to finish on a HD average. And he's like, that's just impossible. And we're laughing about it. And then at the end of the year, we had to do, like, this thing where you had to present your assignment, like the massive portfolio assignment to, a, like, a panel of teachers. And I walked into mine. And he was the lecturer sitting in my panel. And I was like, shit, <laughs> he knows that I've done nothing. I've just based it on my own instincts and my own kind of experiences. I'm screwed. 
and I talked through my report and I talked through what I had written it all on and I finished on a HD average and he came up and shook my hand and he's like, you've done it. (laughs) You win. You won. Um, He offered me a job in Canada, but he's like, you won. And I'm like, it's so funny because I won because I just used my social connection with my students. I spoke about what I was passionate about. I spoke about what I enjoyed. I spoke about the flaws in the teaching space and how, you know, working in a remote community when there's barely any books with Aboriginal young people in the books, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're stories that are, that don't represent their lives. Um, there's there's picture books that you would only know what the word was if you knew what the picture was, but if mm. you don't, you've never seen that picture before, how are you supposed to learn that word? Absolutely. Um, and I just spoke about everything that I'd experienced in my time and it got me across the line. So I'm like, well, it just goes to show that you don't have to have all of that academic stuff. You just have to kind of understand where people are struggling and yeah. what you can do to help them. Mm. Yeah, some of the drives me nuts about like social work and youth work, and we've talked about it. Like, I haven't, I've never been to uni. Mm. Yeah. So, like, and it, like, if anyone's go. like, doesn't know me <laughs> and thinks, like, oh, but I do a podcast that I can He's a fancy expert. Like, yeah, but it comes from a place of like, oh, like, I'm a qualified social worker, and I'm absolutely not a qualified social worker. <laughs> I have. Like a, uh, this is the first time we've got a social worker on the podcast, yeah. actually, to be fair. Yeah. Maybe I'm the famous person. Yeah. You are. Maybe this is your, maybe you should do the podcast. Knowledge on tick with Nat. Yeah. Not after what I've just said about how I've attended classes. But, yeah, and it bugs me because, like, I went for a job, like, before um, my current job and I didn't get it because I didn't do a degree. And I'm like, but I'm, like, I'm pretty much doing it. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Like, I'm, I'm pretty much doing it now. Like, it just blew my mind. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it just—it's it's a, so a piece of paper. Absolutely, and absolutely, if I went to uni, where I learn things, like, yep. I'm not saying that I know everything. I certainly don't. But in terms of the basics and the principles that you're talking about, and being able to build rapport with people, talk to people, be empathetic, learn from yep. that, like all of those sorts of things. Mm. Um, similar stories to how you spoke about being a child, being mm-hmm. like a young person yourself, and naturally being drawn towards, mm-hmm. or even as a teacher, being drawn towards those experiences where you're a helpful person yep. and empathetic towards people and, and trying to figure out what's going on for them in their life and, and supporting them, you kind of got to really don't, yeah. you know, yeah. unfortunately. It's not something that can be taught, I don't yeah. think, to be honest. Like yeah. some roles in the social work field, absolutely, maybe not like to do with young people, but I think it's it's something that you either have or you don't and I think you realise it pretty darn quickly. Yeah. Um, these young people have been through the ringer and um, they know whether you're fake or real from the moment they have a conversation with you. So I think, yeah, I, I, it's funny because I trained someone um, when I was working at one of the schools um, previously and um, she worked, she did placement for about three weeks and then she's like, I'm not, I'm not doing social work anymore and she quit and went into a completely different field. And it was interesting because she was, she acknowledged it. She's like, I can't, I don't, I don't have it. Um, the kids couldn't talk to me. I didn't know what to do. I became nervous and then it just made the young people even more overwhelmed. Mm. Um, and I was like, good on you for actually saying that because a lot of people are scared of that. Like, you know, I say, like, I didn't want to be a teacher. I couldn't do it. Like, but that's okay as well. Like, it's, I think it's one of those things that you just know if you have it or you don't. Mm. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Um, so your aha moment was in there somewhere. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, I think she's had a couple. Yeah, you've had a couple. <laughs> Lucky. So you, so you were teaching. Yep. You left teaching, and then um, 
you went back to uni yep. to study social work. Yep. You, um, you got through your whole course, graduated, and then yep. what was your first full-time job? So when I was actually teaching, um, I moved from history pretty quickly to welfare um, and I got offered a job. <laughs> it's pretty funny. The principal's like, we will match your pay. I was working at JB Hi-Fi. They're like, we'll match your pay from JB Hi-Fi if you want to come in as like a welfare officer. <laughs> I was like, yeah, sure, you beauty. Um, and I did that for about three or four years. Um, the first couple of years were part-time because I was finishing um, my teaching off. And then I stayed in it full time while I was starting my Masters of Social Work as well, um, which was an amazing job, to be honest. It taught me a lot about a lot of crisis response. There was a lot of child protection stuff. It was it was quite full on for a first job, to be honest, um, especially I think I was like 20 years old, 21 years old, um, you know, dealing with some pretty serious stuff. Um, and then once I finished up in that role, I went and took a women and children's family violence role out in Morwell in Gippsland. Um, realised pretty quickly um, <laughs> that I probably needed a lot more knowledge in the field um, rather than staying in that role. Um, I think, unfortunately, they were struggling to find people to fill that role and I jumped on board because I was like, yes, I'm passionate about it. But then I was like, holy crap this is pretty scary. Mm. Um, and I was there for about four months, um, I think with a caseload of about 80 um, oh. and with daily police contact um, just around how serious the domestic violence rates are. I think when I was working there, Gippsland had the highest um, domestic violence call-out rates and mm. um, intimate partner deaths in yeah. Victoria um, and I was 22. <laughs> yeah. So, You're like, it was, yeah, I, was, I felt like a bit of a hypocrite, to be honest, to the women I was working with. Um, and I needed to go and expand my skills and build my confidence back up. So I went over the headspace um, for a couple of years, um, built on some of the clinical knowledge, um, which makes me, which is a bit weird for me now because I'm definitely not clinical in the slightest <laughs> and I probably didn't fit in there that much because I was a bit, um, yeah, a bit different in terms of um, not being so textbook, um, but it was fun. It was a really good experience. Um and loved working in that space and learning heaps about mental health and crisis response. Um, and then I finished my last social work placement at WASAS. Um, and while I was there, loved it, and then transitioned over to a crime prevention team that they had running at WASAS and was there for a year and a half, which was loved it, loved being at court, loved working with those type of young people, um, and then moved over to an Aboriginal-specific role over in the department, which was pretty cool. Um, was an area of mine that's always been something that I've been passionate about and I've been there ever since. Cool. Because you touched on earlier, and that's something I'm really yep. interested to hear about, is that you spent a lot of time uh, up in the Northern Territory. Yep. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So for our last um, teaching block... Basically, they were like, what would you like? Would you like a maths placement, an English placement, a public school, a private school? And then there was like this like random email that was sent out. It was like, you can go to a remote community and um, hang out there for a little bit and see how you go. And initially I was a bit nervous because I was like, oh, my God, I need to like um, travel um, to a different state. I need to live somewhere by myself for six weeks with people from uni that um, I'd never lived with before, um, but I was like, why not, eh? Um, so, yeah, went up there and did my last teaching block, which was six weeks, where we got to actually live in community. 
um, which was pretty exciting because I'd never been exposed to um, that kind of lifestyle, that kind of community before, which I think is a bit like I get a bit disheartened and sad about it now because in school I was never really taught about Aboriginal communities, Aboriginal history. No, and we've spoken about this before as well because it's something that you're quite passionate about Um, and I'm like it was just never, I, I did the French and the Russian Revolution at school and, yeah. and didn't even learn about our own. And, Josh, you and I have talked about this, yeah. but, you know, it's we World learned War about II. all of these, yeah. yeah, like these other cultures and yeah. their, you know, their wars and their revolutions yeah. and their, you know, um, different hierarchies and yeah. um, their Commonwealth or whatever, you know, whatever country it might be. But then there's this whole extravagant history of yeah. the country in which we live in that's just not, that wasn't taught in our era. No. And it's sad, like... Now I guess I am pretty passionate in that space. So looking back, I'm like, oh, like I just wish I had a different kind of education so I could learn about that. Mm. And, you know, I think back and maybe I've made some pretty inappropriate comments when I was in high school. Like I don't know, like I just I feel like I was ignorant. Um, So it was a really, it was a massive slap to the face, to be honest, because I was living in a community where they were underprivileged. Um, It was like three hours drive commute out of Darwin, Um, you know, as a teacher, I was living in a house with like a barbed wire fence around my entire house. Um, and we couldn't, you know, we weren't supposed to really leave at the night time. And it was just like kind of really strict. And I was like, this is so weird and strange. And then I became pretty close with a couple of, um, the community members, some of the teachers, um, there. And I'm like, oh, it's a bit of a joke. And I just went out with the barbed wire fence and like just hung out in community, um, went out and did some adventures and I just absolutely loved it. Um, obviously I learned a bit from the Miriam Rose, one of the community elders there, um, and she welcomed us with open arms, which was pretty incredible, um, and just taught us a bit about like how many, kind of how many white folk come into their community to learn, which is fine, mm. um, but when you're coming in, have some respect and leave with a message, like leave with something that you can then, you know, teach and educate to other workers in the field or, you know, how you can support. Because, you know, I think when I went there, there was, it was only like, it would have been like halfway through the year and they had already had four principals that year. Mm. And these kids are just having rotating teachers come through, rotating principals. And we all know what we're like without routine and structure. Yeah, Um, no consistency at all. Absolutely. Like how do we feel when people just come in for a month at a time, um, And, yeah, then, you know, work and just act like these kids should have our respect as soon as we go into a school. Mm. Um, So a lot of my time there wasn't around teaching. It was more around them teaching me. Um, They taught me heaps Mm. about community, how to live on country, what bushes to eat, what bushes not to eat, Um, just heaps of their kind of tricks of the trade, which is pretty cool and I loved it, like, I feel like I wasted their time a little bit for six weeks, but they gave me so much more, um, you know, and it was just exciting to see some of the kids actually attend your classroom and stuff mm. um, because a lot of their attendance rates sometimes aren't the greatest depending on what's going on for them. Um, so, yeah, it was just a pretty cool experience for me, one that has definitely left me, um, yeah, I'll always remember my time up there, I reckon. Mm. Mm. How many non-Indigenous people were there when you were there? Like what's, how does, what does the ratio kind of look like? Um, so in terms of teaching staff, there were, there was one qualified Aboriginal teacher 
um, but the rest were non-Aboriginal. Um, the principal was an Aboriginal um, and then they had like Aboriginal mentors that sat in on some of the classes, which was pretty cool um, because they were the only ones that the kids would respond to or respect it. So they were vital to have in there. Um, and then they were trying to do run an education program around educating um, some of the community members to become teachers, um, but definitely not a high ratio, which is kind of disappointing. And then, like, I think one time I was sitting there and um, a psychologist walked in and she, she made a comment to one, like, I think he was like a four or five-year-old, and she said something and um, he flipped. I think he flipped a table and he, I was about to say that word, Called, called her a C-U-N-T and walked out. And oh, was, yeah, you could have been the first person on the potty to drop the C-bomb. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, like, you've rubbed in the wrong way. But, like, fuck, if you made that comment to me, I would have done the exact same thing. Like, yeah. it's just around, I think, acknowledging where you are and don't just go to these places because you think you can fix people. Like, it's not around fixing people. They, they've got their own ways of living. They've got their own... Um, benefits of living in a remote community like who are we to go in there and be like yeah we're coming in here to fix things like that's just a bit of a joke and I think it's history repeating itself really <laughs> absolutely mm. and I think one of the teachers said to me she's like you kind of come here as like the three m's and I was like what's this she's like the missionaries the money hungry and the oh my god what's the last one and the misfits yeah and I was like, that's really interesting because you do earn way more money working in a remote community as a teacher because there's higher pay brackets, I guess, because mm. they need teachers more. Um, you do have a lot of missionaries that base themselves there um, and then you do have, like, a few random people that just kind of... The misfits. Yeah, they just, just kind of walked in. <laughs> so, yeah, I think if you can imagine that kind of dynamic there, it's it's, it's different. Mm. Sorry, that's my laptop making those noises. <laughs> I don't know how to fix that. I'm not IT savvy. Um, getting text messages or? Yeah, it's Apple. It's all oh, I'm not that I don't savvy, know. Sorry. I've got an IT guy. I don't pay him. He just fixes <laughs> my shit. It's not his job. He's just a nice guy. It's <laughs> still going. Sorry. Um, I was going to just say something when you, you were talking about... Um, misfits? Oh, I've gone blank. No, it wasn't misfits. It was about... <laughs> <laughs> money hungry I don't know no it was pre that it'll oh, okay. come back to me it's yeah. fine I'll think of it we don't have to wait for me okay. to think of it sorry guys <laughs> we could be here a while yeah but it would have been super interesting to be mm. to be um, immersed in that it's funny when you say just taking it back a little step about that naivety mm. I think around like the indigenous cultures um and and the lack of like education around it, mm-hmm. and I have this. I don't know if we've talked about it before. I don't think so, but I have this thing that's within me that just absolutely, um, that absolutely is stuck with me, and that I wish that I could take it back and say something. So I worked at a summer camp mm-hmm. in America for like five or six summers in a row. So I'd go there oh, yeah. for the summer and then come back here for summer. And I was working in Resi and Parkville and stuff, so I yeah. kind of just made it work. Um, but I, um, I, we did, we, cause there was a lot of people from different cultures that mm-hmm. were uh, in different countries that went to the camp in America yep. to work. So you had a lot of Australians, Canadians, 
uh, lots of Americans, people from Israel, um, Mexico, like all different places would yep. go and work. And at the start of camp, um, the different nationalities would put on a show for the kids, um, presenting like a um, like a song or a, a piece yep. of um, performance to kind of celebrate and to teach your kids whatever. Anyway, mm. I remember that they were getting ready to do an Australian one and they were like preparing for it and they did like the Captain Cook. Oh, God. Like, oh. This, yeah. <laughs> and this girl um, was narrating it. She was Aussie. She was narrating it and she says, um, and they got out of the boat and there was no one there. And I was just like, <gasps> but I was like naive, like 18, 19 year old. And I was like, don't think that's like, that's not right. Yeah, surely um, there was someone. Yeah, we all. <laughs> I yeah. swear there was something yeah. somewhere. They said yeah. someone was here. Yeah, <laughs> and I didn't say anything. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And it just fucking kills me. Monster. Yeah. The, and not only because to correct her. Yeah. Um, but like, don't forget the indigenous yep. population that has lived forty thousand years before us, or however many thousand years before us. Mm. But also, um, to to make sure that anyone else listening yep. to that. Presentation is that, is that there mm. was a, a, a whole yeah. culture that, um, for in this instant, isn't being spoken about and absolutely deserves to be spoken about yeah. and, and to share the story. Absolutely. Of, um, yeah, it's it's something that sort of um, stuck with me. It's mm. funny that you say that because I was like, obviously, um, in my role at the moment, I was speaking with um, a community member who's doing a cultural awareness training, actually, and he's like if something upsets you in the workplace or if someone says a comment that you don't agree with or, you know, if it rattles you a little bit, if you didn't say anything in the moment, don't come and tell me about it later. Mm. And I was like, it's so interesting because a lot of us will then be like, oh, that was so racist or that was such a shit comment that that person made, but we don't speak up in the moment. I'm not saying like, obviously, like I was extremely naive in high school as well, but I'm so conscious of it now in my work. Mm. that even if I'm in a care team with really big rigs, massive managers, and they make comments, I'm like, no, nah, that's not okay and it's scary and I get anxious about it and I'm nervous, but I'm like, no, like if I don't step up and say something, then who's going to? Mm. Um, and I always try and make that conscious effort. Yeah. Um, and I correct some of my peers and I correct people that are talking and and I know a lot of it's coming from ignorance and lack of history and just lack of that understanding, but I'm like, I feel like I'm not doing the community justice if I don't say anything. Yeah. Um, and yeah. even if those conversations lead me nowhere, that's okay because at least I acknowledged it and I said something. Yeah, for you. And yeah. I think a big part of that is um, I think someone that you and I know very, very dearly um, always harps on about having courageous conversations. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the um, biggest lessons I ever learned was about in those moments it's not about saying that the other person's wrong, mm-hmm. but it's about voicing your opinion in what's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes those courageous conversations are some of the fucking hardest ones we're going to have. Oh. You know, it might be you feeling like, you know, you're the shit kicker in a situation and there's, you know, a, a director or a manager sitting there that says something that you don't necessarily agree with or it doesn't align mm-hmm. with, you know, the, the values or the purpose that you're trying to address then and there in that meeting. But being able to to do that appropriately, obviously, yep. but being able to do that is actually such a courageous thing as opposed to sitting there in silence 
Because majority of the time people will do that and then later they'll fester on it and they'll yeah. be pissed off and they'll be like, I can't believe that person said this or, yeah. you know, I'm really pissed off about that. And I'm so guilty of that. Like I do Absolutely. that. I still do that all the time with yeah. certain things. Um, and obviously there's a time and a place yeah. um, for things to be said but also to be able to, yeah, be open to having those courageous conversations and not calling people out. It's not a derogatory thing. It's not about... Um, I guess, saying that that person's wrong and that you're right and that's how they feel, but it's about what is right in that situation, the appropriate language or the appropriate communication or the appropriate viewpoint on that. Yeah. Um, and being able to communicate that is, um, it's such a big thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember once I was just in a lunchroom with a colleague once um, and we were just talking about a young person and who they, what they identify as, and she's like, oh, they're only like one, one-fifth Aboriginal. And I was like, hang on a minute, like, do they identify as Aboriginal or do they not identify as Aboriginal? And she's like, they identify as Aboriginal. And I said, well, they're not one-fifth, they're Aboriginal. That's what they identify as. That's, okay. that's their identity. Like, we're not pizzas. We mm. just cut <laughs> ourselves up into, like, half different Hawaii, pieces. Half Hawaiian, half like, maybe. Like, I don't know where, like, my mum's parents were before Malta. Like, I could be, like, one one fifth something else like it's just that's what you identify it as or you don't um and I think that sometimes people's misconceptions around the color of people's skin um and what that means to people and that means they automatically will identify this or they automatically will identify as that and it's like well that's not the case and mm. ask the questions um be curious I think people are so nervous to sometimes ask these questions and it's like the kids are gonna have so much more respect for you if you're just like who are you? Like, what do you identify as? And who, who are you as a person? Like, tell me a bit about you rather than just assuming mm. with those tick boxes. Because um, I know that someone was saying like ages ago that they were scared to ask the question of whether someone was Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander on an assessment. I'm like, why? why? Yeah. <laughs> like, are you American or Canadian? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, exactly. It's, it's really okay. <laughs> You're Irish or you're Scottish. Can't get that accent. Like, absolutely. It's just such a weird, and it's our history, yet we deny ourselves of that. Mm. We deny ourselves of learning about what that means. Um, and, um, yeah, I guess, and I think this is so funny because then it comes back on all these questions, how you guys are like, oh, like what brought you to the field or like what what was your aha moment? Yeah, so I remember when I was working in my family violence role in Gippsland um, and I was pretty close with um, a worker down there. He was an Aboriginal man that um, ran the Men's Behaviour Change Program um, and I was talking to him about, you know, leaving the role and going into a different kind of um, service and well, I was just kind of getting his vibe around where which direction he thinks I should take and he, was, he made a really interesting comment. He was like, I think people that have so much commitment or so much passion in this space, um, it would almost be a waste for them to go to an Aboriginal-based organisation. Um, and I was got kind of a bit confused by it because I was like, I don't, yeah, really. That wouldn't be the norm. Yeah, like mm. I didn't really know what he was saying. He was just like, well, you know, when you go into an Aboriginal-based organisation, they're all like-minded people. They all, have, mm. they all know the history. They all are quite educated in that space and they're all passionate in that area. He's like, but when you go to mainstream services or the department or different kind of agencies, it's important to have people that have that background and have that passion to then really kind of step in and um, kind of help educate the workers that you're working with and just really um, kind of share your knowledge in that space, which... 
Yeah. It was kind of really intriguing because I was like, what an interesting message. Like I never thought of it like that, but it makes so much sense. Yeah, which is interesting that you say that because that's not something that I've ever thought about either. Yeah. But then I stop and I think about the team in which I work and there is certain um, referrals that come through that you're like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, I'd nail that. Or, yep. you know, yeah, we'll allocate to this person because of X, Y and Z and, and you, you character fit young people yep. because you want that relationship to be prosperous and you want that rapport to be built so that, you know, treatment can flow and, and, you know, work. And I think it's the exact same concept in what you're saying is that we all have our our own specific knowledges and we all have our own niches and being able to tap into our team is actually such an awesome thing to be like, you know, even I do, I did it today, for example, I was like, I needed a housing question answered and I'm like, oh, housing is not my strong point. (laughs) So, you know, there's, there's a dude in my team that that's, that's his jam. So I rang him and he was like, yep, X, Y, and Z. I'm like, yeah, for sure. That's what you need in a team. You need that dynamic where everybody has different, you know, um, knowledge and um, experience because then you create one cohesive team. Absolutely. So it makes absolute sense, you know. Everybody at a specific organisation obviously has the same ethos. They're there for the same passion and reason. But to be able to spread that love, per yep. se, <laughs> um, and cross-pollinate is actually really pivotal, I guess, in the in in growth within organisations for development for other workers. 100%. And it's around that safety for young people. Mm. And I don't mean that literal safety, like safety planning. I just mean that safety for them to come into a space and know that they're welcome and mm. know that people can understand them um, and have the knowledge, you know, to work with them. Like, I know, like, I kind of hate the saying when people are like, you know, case managers can't pick workers. And I get that, like, logically, because you can't. <laughs> but I also kind of think, like, if someone were to just throw someone in front of me and say, that's your psychologist, you talk to them about every one of your dark secrets. Like, I'm a relationable person. Like, if I don't connect with that person, they ain't going to hear shit about my life. Mm. They're not going to hear about what upsets me, what gets me up in the morning. Like, it's just not going to happen. So why not use your strengths in organisations to then link in with some of those kids that, you know, come from different backgrounds, have different complexities, like utilise the strengths within that space. Yeah. Um, and I think that's when you really get the effective kind of work coming out of um, young people and those rapports being built. Mm. Makes me think of, um, I don't know if you heard this story, but I can't remember where it was, um, but uh, I believe a government body failed to reach out to Aboriginal like uh, organisations or get some um, some advice and they created an anti-smoking campaign where they made signs that said mm. smoking is deadly mm. <laughs> and put them up That's in all so good. communities. And deadly as. Deadly as. Like how, Everyone pick up a pack. It's good. Yeah. Fuck yeah. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, yeah. like Aboriginal Sorry. and Aboriginal slang, Deadly is good. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Hundred like, percent. You know, deadly bro, or you know, you had a deadly game of football, or whatever you might say. <laughs> yeah. Um, it makes me yeah. laugh. It's so good. Yeah, smoking is deadly. <laughs> yeah. Like, and that's where, in that situation, placing yourself in an organisation that is not an Aboriginal organisation allows you to spread that knowledge and that information, your experiences that you have. Yeah. Um, as opposed to preaching to the choir, so to speak, if you were to work for an Aboriginal organisation. Absolutely. Mm. Look, I'm not. Like an expert, I'm not, I don't claim to think that I know everything at all. Like I liaise heaps with community members, community Mm -hmm. organisations. I run through 
like I run things past everyone. Like I definitely don't think I know everything, but it's just around, you know, I acknowledge, I acknowledge community and um, I just have a different way of working sometimes when you just kind of um, have that history underneath you. Mm. Um, but you're passionate about it. Yeah, and 100%. It, and it's the same way that someone's passionate about substance use yep. Yep. and whether someone's passionate about the child welfare and that child yep. protection lens. It's just that you are passionate about like a cultural group yep. and a history of a cultural group as opposed mm. to um, like a, I don't know what even you would say, like as opposed to substance use or yep. as opposed to like another issue. Mm. Yep. It's the, the thing that you're passionate about is just a really massive, yep. um, like a massive thing yep. in, in our country. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's awesome. I was going to ask you a question earlier and then I went blank. And I couldn't think of the question, but I've remembered it now. Cool. And it was around, um, I, th- it, I think it was a psychologist you said that had come in to the remote community um, yeah. with a bit of a, like, I'm going to fix it mentality. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's probably a massive thing that we, not probably, that is a massive thing that we deal with in the field. And even outside of that, I think we've often talked about like the Sunday barbecue conversations. <laughs> and one of those is, don't you just want to fix them? Yeah. Um, and it. Oh, it makes me feel so sad. Yeah. Or if yeah. they re-offend, like, do you take that personally? Yeah. Nah. Nah. <laughs> yeah, and it's, I think the reality is it's not about us, no. you know, and sometimes <laughs> as workers we have to check, you know, where we're at emotionally. Is, is this about me or is this about the young person? And, you know, boundaries are a massive thing for us in the field, but I think there is a massive mentality that the field in which we work is to fix young people. Yeah. Or, or people in general. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and that's not necessarily just from the broader community. That's absolutely something it is. That's something that I've got from my family, from my friends that aren't in the field, um, and even from, you know, clients' parents or family members yeah. that can't you just fix them? Yeah. Um, how Like what would your, I guess you, you made some, I guess, reflections on how you wanted to connect, you know, with just the young people and be there. It's not about fixing mm-hmm. them. It's about being there and... Um, but for you, what do you think um, with that fixing mentality? Yeah. What do you think are some of the biggest lessons for people, I guess? Um, I think sometimes it's going, like going into a role without expectations. I think mm. if you're going into just be inquisitive, like learn about the young person, find out what their interests are, um, get to know who they are outside of what they've done, like, I think in my current role, I never go in and be like, I've read this and this and this. I'll go in and be like, like, what's, like, what's happened? And they'll be like, well, haven't you read my file? Yeah. Like, well, no, I haven't. And I, and I get if you don't want to retell it, that's totally fine. But I also kind of want to hear it from your story. I want to hear your version of it. Mm. Um, because I can read 20 million reports. I can, you know, I can go through the care team. I can figure out what all of them feel, which they'll all have their own individual biases linked to that young person because everyone does. Um, but you go in as an inquisitive mind. You go in to, to explore what has led them to where they are and what's happened. And I just love, like, it's around reading the social cues and reading yeah. kind of where they're at because, you like, once you're, in, once you're in a role for a while, you can tell when you've triggered someone. You yeah. can tell when you've asked a question and they've instantly withdrawn. You can tell when their behaviours and their moods change but then that's important as a worker to then notice when that's happened and redirect your work. 
yeah. um, redirect the path rather than push. Mm. Because if you're just going to push or you're just going to leave, like I think a lot of people will be like, oh, you know, like if this person's abusing you, like wouldn't you just leave? It's like, well, no, I wouldn't because pretty much everyone in their life is left. Yeah. They've got attachment issues. There's struggles going on. If I leave, it's just proving to them what's happened in the past it's mm. just you're the same as everybody yeah, else you're just reiterating all of what's happened to them in the past so you know it's not around copying it all it's not around saying yeah it's okay like abuse me treat me like shit yeah, yeah like absolutely not but sitting with a bit of resistance and putting in your own boundaries yeah um and they may look different for every worker because everyone has their own values everyone has their own triggers as a worker as well like I know when young people have triggered me or triggered stuff that's happened to me in the past um sometimes that might mean that it may have to be a different worker or sometimes it may mean that I just have to be open with my managers around how that's upset me or how that's going to affect my practice and just to watch out for it yeah you know I think we all come with our stories and we all come from our own different lifestyles and we're all in it for a reason so I think it'd be stupid to say that nothing's going to affect us in this field yeah and things aren't going to trigger us a little bit so um Mm. I think it's back to when I said about being vulnerable, like it's okay to acknowledge when those things have happened um, and just kind of talk it out and see because most of the time you can kind of work past it. Yeah, and at the end of the day, we're all human beings. Absolutely. At the end of it, we're all of us. Absolutely. Irrelevant of whether we're a client, we're, you know, a worker, we're a family member, we're Mm -hmm. like, you know, there's whoever we may be, we're all humans at the end of the day. We all have feelings, we all have emotions, we all have our own histories and, and inevitably, and I think something that we've we've talked about quite a lot on the podcast is self-care yeah. and taking care of yourself. Um, and if we're not doing that, at, at the end of the day, it will catch up with you. We're not, we're not superhuman. Nah. You know, there's only so, so many times you can, there's a saying, and I feel like my dad would be really disappointed for me not remembering <laughs> it, but it's like... <laughs> It's something like burning the candle at both ends or something like that. I read, yeah, every, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, is that right? Both ends, yeah. yeah, it's going to catch up, you know, yeah. at, at the end of the day. Yeah. So you've got to take care of, you know, yourself in the work that you do, especially in the work that we do. 100%. And I think sometimes we don't even realise when we are stressed, like when you're dealing with yeah. um, quite complex young people or complex care teams, like sometimes your tolerance goes so high that you don't realise when you've pushed that tolerance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just around making sure that the people that are close to you that know you really well are able to then be confident enough to say, hey, like something's wrong or you need to kind of sit back a little bit and see what's going on for you at the moment because I've been, I've done it myself plenty of times where I've hit a peak and I've gone, whoa, holy crap, like I've gone so high up and I've forgotten to come back down because my tolerance just keeps sneaking up every time. Um and, yeah, so things that have affected you in the past won't affect you again and then you're like, oh, cool, I'm getting better at it. Well, n- not really. It just means that you're kind of blunting yourself off to some mm. of those emotions, which can be good but also can be really bad. Yeah. I think um, disassociation from things like that can be quite tricky at times. But also a recognition that everybody's different Yeah, as well and the, and the way in which people show stress or emotion or burnout or whatever that might be is going gonna, is gonna to reflect different for every single person. Yeah. I think... I hope you don't mind me sharing, um, but you know, I think I think for you and I, you yeah. and I are um, outside of this are quite good friends. Yeah, um, and we've worked together for a significant <laughs> period of time. And there's been times before that you've said to me, you know, I'm struggling 
and I'm and and you are and I hope you don't mind me saying this, you're an emotional person, yeah, you know. So absolutely. out of the two of us, you're more likely to cry than I am. Oh, I am not 100%. a crier. I'm pretty obvious when I'm overwhelmed. I yeah. cry. Yeah. So and for you, your biggest issue was yep. that you know we were both overwhelmed, but you never saw me cry, and you were a bit confused as to how we were both very you know stressed in our work. Yeah. You know, and I show emotion very different. I withdraw, oh, and I think that was very di- evident for Josh. You know, even yesterday. You know, I had a pretty stressful work at, day at work yesterday. It was the first time we'd seen each other in a couple of weeks, and yep. and I just go quiet. Yeah. I just like do myself. I'm like, nah. See you guys later. I'm yep. doing me, and this is it. And there was a couple of times that Josh was like, "You okay? Hey, yep. you, you good?" And he was like, "Sorry, I'm just checking in because like you're just not yourself." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get, yeah, I know. That's me. I'm quiet. And normally I'm very loud. I'm a yeah. very loud person. Everyone yeah. can hear me a mile away. I'm obnoxious and I'm laughing and whatever else. And I think it's really important for people to understand that everybody manifests stress and emotion and baggage in a different way. Oh, and, absolutely. And brings it back to we're all human beings at the end of the day. But being able to recognize when you when you do that yeah. and when you are feeling a bit shit or a bit down or a bit stuck, you know, and it's okay that. You know, it's okay that I withdraw and I go quiet. It's okay that you cry now. Yeah. You know, and there's been times that I've cried. It's far and few between. But when it does happen, (laughs) that's okay as well. You know, you know, I've sat there before and I think my manager very recently was like, I'm so excited that you're crying right now. And I know that's a really inappropriate reaction. I've just never (laughs) seen it happen though. So I'm just a bit happy. It's an exciting moment. Yeah. And, you know, that for for that, that's everyone that's so different. You know, for Josh, it might be different. It might be. I, don't haven't, I, haven't, I haven't seen you be overwhelmed you too overwhelmed? much just yet. I don't actually know if I've got mm. an overwhelmed, yeah. I don't Specific know. response. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. yeah. But my point, my point in general yeah. is that everybody manifests things different. And We're all human and it, it doesn't matter how you manifest yeah. that. It's okay. But some it's people just don't that you can recognise that. Some people don't know what their overwhelm looks like either and, like, that's okay too. You might not get as overwhelmed as other people, like, as often mm. and I'm... Um, like, has Nat said, I'm such an emotional person. It's quite funny. I was telling my team leader once, he's like, how do I know when you're coping? I'm like, oh, I'll cry. And he's like, yeah, but, like, what's the step before that? I'm like, there's not nah, much. Nah, it's not. <laughs> there's really not much. It's like, it's, it's pretty much here and then it's here and I'm crying. But, like, it's okay because, yeah. like, I'm not one of those, like, oh, my God, don't see me cry. Like, I'm a crier. Yeah. I don't care. You'll own That's it. what I am. Like, never cried, in, never cried in front of a client, never done that, but can cry at work. Like yep. it is possible with my managers. But it's funny because then one of my close friends that I'm working with at the moment is is the opposite as well. She's blunt. Yeah. But it's funny because people are like, oh, she's doing really well. No. I'm like, well, like I don't like I don't know if that's happening. Like I think we've got to really, really check because I'm quite an easy person to supervise, I would think, yep. in the workplace. Because I'm pretty obvious. Yeah. Whereas a lot of people aren't as obvious as me, like, you know, how you're saying yeah. yourself as well. Yeah. And I think you need to know you yeah. to be able to know if you're not coping well as well. And then I think, yeah. That's... Well, I think for me, if I think back on previous careers, like when I worked at Corrections, my stress response, I need to remember that we're doing a podcast yeah, and my air quotations <laughs> and my facial expressions can't be commuted <laughs> just by audio. We just add them in. I need, to, I need to start with like a disclaimer Climber. anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think for me... That, in that being the way I responded to stress and feeling overwhelmed, that worked really fucking well for my supervisor at the time because I was out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. I did not peep. And she's like, that's fucking great. She's over there working face she's down, ass up, working her ass up. Don't give a shit. You know, and then you come into a sector um, that we're in that is a very empathetic sector yeah. where, you know, we're all very emotional beings, irrelevant. And like you said before, 
you know, we all have our stories and our journeys and, and whatever that might be. And I think it's very weird for me. Like I get quite even overwhelmed when I am overwhelmed and I withdraw and I'm quiet. I then get additionally overwhelmed when people are like, are you okay? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, they know. They know. And, you know, I'm really good with this now. No, I'm, not, I'm not pointing you out, Josh. You, that was perfect. It was fine. But I think when it, when it right. initially, when I first made the change, yeah. I would get so overwhelmed that yeah. people thought I wasn't okay or that knew I weren't okay. Yeah. And I think subconsciously I was like, I'm going to lose my job. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, and I think there's a lot of, there's a stigma in the field and I don't, I don't know how we fix it, but, like, I think there's a stigma in the field. If if you're not doing okay, you can't do your job. Oh, absolutely. And it's just so not fucking true. I'm like, one day I'm not going to have a job because I just cry too much. <laughs> and I'm like, that girl, she can't handle it, man. she got to yeah. go. But it's funny because I cry and then I feel, like, better. Like times better and I'm all good because that's just my coping mechanism. And it's sure, funny because sometimes, like, I remember in, like, primary school, I used to try and reset and be like, you're not going to be an emotional person tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to be differently. You're going to be this hardcore person. And I'd last, like, an hour. <laughs> and I'd just like, yeah. And it's funny because you just want to, like, in those kind of moments, you're like, damn it, like, I just, I hate that I'm like this. And I still say it. Like, I hate that I'm an emotional person. But I'm, like, a bit, I have a bit of a female crush on Brene Brown. Yeah. Love love uh, preach. Yeah, yeah. Preach. <laughs> have, you, have you listened to Brene Brown, Russell Brand? No, I'm going to listen to that tomorrow. Really I'm going to drive home. Also, just a quick shout out for any other Brene um, fangirls out there. Because you, you you've, you've got two gals here. <laughs> BB. Yeah, BB. <laughs> BB, the BB tribe. Um, she's actually just started her own podcast. So she started oh, a podcast. Stop. She started a podcast years ago, and any advert uh, Brene Brown fans would know that she tried, and it just sort of just went by the wayside. Yeah. Um, and so this year she has relaunched. She relaunched in March. There's she's uploaded like a shit ton of episodes because of COVID nineteen. She's just like I'm getting oh. my shit out to the people, and I want you guys to hear that we're here and we're you know yes. we are one community. It takes a village to support each other. I will be on that. Um, Oh, between? Well, do you know my secret desire is, you know, Josh and I made a pact at the start of the podcast who was the Ooh. most famous person you know and we both didn't really have um, anyone extravagant but both had our own little cute stories. But my ultimate goal is to either get like Dave Chappelle or Brene Brown we in my in my contact list in 12 <laughs> months and just ream, ream Josh in the comp. It'd be, between Brene Brown and like Australian True Crime, that's where my podcasts start. Like yeah. that's just what I listen to during like prison drives, like when you go into prison and you wait yeah. like for clients, not myself, I swear. Um, and you've got those Thanks. really long trips just in disclaimer. <laughs> Quick clarification, I'm just not going to my own prison. Source. Um, but like when you're driving on those really long trips, like they are what 100% got me through. And mm. I love when Brene Brown talks about like her power of vulnerability and yeah. just that different perspective because, you know, she's already said, like, she doesn't work client-based, like, no. she's not one-on-one, but it's the stuff that she says is just so true, like, you know, and it says around, like, if you're feeling really overwhelmed and you're really feeling shit, don't go and disclose that information to someone that you're not going to get the appropriate response from Yeah, because then there's no point disclosing that information because you're just going to feel even worse. Yeah, You know, go to the correct people that you know that you can get those avenues from and those mm. those needs met because if you're feeling lousy and you're going to someone that maybe isn't emotionally in tune and can't respond in the way that you need them to, then you're just going to go backwards. Yeah. So I really like that and I think that's something that always sticks with me because it's around 
sometimes sometimes I'm a bit of a potty mouth and I'll just kind of like talk about everything because like I just want people to feel better and then I've disclosed something and then they're kind of looking at me and they're just like mm, it's a real issue of yours I'm like fuck well, I didn't really want that response <laughs> I was just trying to make what you I feel needed. better <laughs> like, I was just trying to like I didn't really like that's not where I was going with that but it's like one of those real like yeah I definitely resonate with her mm. she's a vibe Cheers. I need to do more Brene Brown. You do. You're not. I don't listen to a lot of that stuff. I'm Sorry, that. have you watched her Netflix? I haven't. Josh, the power of vulnerability. You I'll need to open it. your soul. I think before your next podcast, it's something that you probably have to do. It's nothing. That I, I think we should do a is. podcast on you and Brene Brown. Maybe. No, Can not. I come back? No, <laughs> no, I'm not interested at all. Yeah. What I really like about her, and I, I've. I froth her. Like, it's, yes, it's, it's undeniable. Yeah, I'm pretty obsessed. Even my, she listens to this. my poor housemate, the amount of times I've been like, oh, oh you watch this YouTube video of Brene Brown? And she's yeah. like, yeah, I mean, I really like it, but, like, can you stop making me watch videos? I'm yeah. like, I lend it from no. her books too, her books. Yeah. And then they're like, sometimes they're like, oh, we haven't, we haven't quite, like, you know, got there, like, where you are yet. I'm like, keep reading. Keep going. <laughs> Nat's read them all about 48 yeah, times. But like it's, and I still don't remember them. Some of the worst memory. Mm. I think the thing I love the most about her work, and, and it's probably something that's resonated with me professionally and personally, mm-hmm. is around, obviously she, she's she got an, a, a heap of books, um, but uh, she obviously, one of her is, is the power of vulnerability and how we can use that to our advantage. And I think in society, if we said the word vulnerability, the first thing that pops to your mind isn't a positive thing. Yeah. You know, if someone's vulnerable, they're not safe. They're not, you know, they're not mm. independent. They're not, um, you know, there's a whole level of negative connotations stigma that follow attached. on from that. Yeah, stigma. Um, and I think for um, what I really love about Brene is that she takes away that that stigma and she, and she takes away exp- especially a lot of the gender roles, you know, yeah. as females, she talks about how, as females, we expect our men to be strong and without emotion and to, you know, be our defenders and, mm. you know, and, and then but all we beg for in a partner, for example, might be is some vulnerability and some emotion and the minute they show that, we're like, you weak piece of shit, you know, <laughs> and it, it's like an innate need of us. It's like, oh, that's so unattractive, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and I think for me that was probably a massive lesson, not even for, for me personally, massive in my own relationships to to sit with that and be like, this is actually a beautiful thing that I can experience. But also professionally to sit with, you know, I'm a female, to sit with my male clients yeah. and to be able to teach them that it's okay to be vulnerable. Yeah. Yes, you are a young man. Yes, this is a really shitty situation. You don't need to be a god here. You yeah. don't need to save the day. Yeah. You are yeah. allowed to be vulnerable and I'll tell you why. Yeah. You know, and I think for me the, the um, especially the gender qualities that yeah. she she quite she hones in on them quite well for me I have found in my work has actually helped me a lot in in just even conversations with young men especially like you know I'm the youngest in all of my siblings so I never experienced you know my old my, my brother's older than me so I never experienced him going through like puberty or anything yeah. like that and I remember the first time I had a client who was going through puberty <laughs> and and his voice was breaking but yeah. I just thought he had a cold and so I kept being like, gotta take you to the doctors, gotta go to the doctors. <laughs> and one day he was just like, no, my voice is broken. Leave it alone. <laughs> and I was like, 
Oh, <laughs> that's something that, yep, okay. Mm-hmm. I read about this in grade six, health. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. We'll have 100%. the birds and the bees chat. That's fine. <laughs> but it's not something that, that, like, in my personal life, it's not something yeah. I have experienced. So then in my professional, it was just something that, like, blew my mind. Yeah. That I was like, oh, yeah, shit, really need to oh. think about that. Absolutely. I remember working with a young person and just, like, I remember a comment he made to me and he's like, you've just got your shit together. Mm-hmm. And I was like, bullshit. <laughs> I was like, man, I'm a worker. I'm a professional. Like, I have to have my shit together. I'm an actor. Yeah. yeah. He's like, I'm a bloody good actor. But, like, the, like, you know, obviously without blurring boundaries, but I was like, it's like I've worked my ass off, mate, mm. to get here. I've worked my ass off to have a roof over my head and to have a stable income. Like, just because you see us with our shit together, it doesn't mean that we've just come from this perfect life and that we've had, you know, breakfast served every morning yeah. and, you know, you went to a private school and you've got everything paid for. Like, And I hate to generalise as well, but that's sometimes the young people have this perception of us. Yeah. It's like I didn't have that. I didn't go through that. I had a very different life, but obviously I don't want to talk about that life with them. Mm. But just know, mate, like, you know, we all have our own stories and yeah. you can have your shit together too. And it was like a little bit of a light bulb moment and he was like, what the hell? Mm. And I was like, yeah, like if we weren't good actors about having our shit together, we'd probably be fired. Like we mm-hmm. wouldn't just come in and be like, man, it was a shit day yesterday. Like <laughs> your kid would be like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> so it was just, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I, one of the first, like, ways for me that I sort of thought about the idea of vulnerability is in a couple of ones. One is like was around triggers and mm. working in a park field. Yeah. Because the kids would like oh, not at all of them, but a lot of them or some oh, of them yeah. would try and find different things. And one of the common ones was that kids would be like, oh, you're gay yeah. or you're a faggot, things like that. Trying to yeah. like, like, let's see if this one works. Yeah. And I'd always just be like, let's like, give them the hamburger with a lot and see what sticks. See what sticks. Yeah. 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 And they'll be like, oh, you're a faggot. And I'll turn around and like stare and run the eyes and throw away comment when you're on Friday nights. And, <laughs> and they're like, what? Like, what and they're like, well, is this serious? I'm like, fucking joking. It's going to program. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, hurry up. You said it's in school. Yeah. And like, uh, you know, it's confusing. But then realizing, like, that what my, what my triggers were, yeah. And having yeah. to, like, be able to be, um, um, like, uh, in tune yeah. to mm. that. But then I was able to flip it. So, one of my triggers, and here we are being vulnerable again, is actually when people, like, call me skinny. Yeah. Mm. Like, that's a trigger for me about my body weight. It's always been, I've yeah. always been tall and skinny. No matter how hard I tried, like I always try harder, you know, in terms of like diet and exercise. But when I have tried to diet and eat well and do exercise, not much really changes, which is not a bad problem to have, like really. Um, But it was a trigger for me in in working at Parkville, especially when it's like a lot of that toxic masculinity. Yeah, yeah. Like the biggest kid on the unit, or you're one of the big staff, or even it would go the other way that if a staff was like a big guy and when there was an incident that they didn't get involved, I yep. call them big for nothing. Yeah. I thought you saw big for nothing, you know, yep. you're going to get involved. Then we'll go to gym and we would do exercise and things like that. And I'd say to the kids, like, yeah, you know, if I'm not a big guy or anything, but like I try this or I try that. So I actually would offer them my vulnerability. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, be like, you know, I'm a skinny dude too. Or like, we'll play rugby. I'd be like, I used to play rugby when I was younger. And they'd be like, well, you're so skinny, bro. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I used to play on the wing. Yeah. And I'd run really fast. So the fucking big guys are going to catch me. <laughs> yeah, because there's no I'm, fucking weight on me, motherfucker. I'm moving. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I'll offer them yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. And then another another way that I thought is really cool um, is actually listening to podcasts. There's this one, um, I can't remember, it's a super, actually I don't remember what it's called. It's um, 
Sorry about last night. It's these two girls and it's a, they call it the anti-slut shaming podcast. Yeah. It's really funny and they talk about like sex and they interview all sorts of different people and they're just super open. They take questions from people um, about relationships and sex and stuff like that. It's really funny. Um, but they will always be like, oh, I had counseling last night. Oh, it's my counseling. Oh, fuck, I should talk to my therapist about that. And they're telling how many probably thousand people yeah. that they go to counseling um, you know, on a regular basis to talk about whatever issue they're going through. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I know that it's probably it's probably easy to be vulnerable to 10,000 people you don't know mm. than it is to a couple of people you do know. Yeah, but absolutely. I've, I, yeah, I've tried to kind of take it on for myself. Like when I've, like I've done counselling, we talked about it on one of the other podcasts. Yeah, said, yeah. Like, you know, I've had to access counselling and this is the yeah. way you do it and if you need to do it. Um, but also like talking to friends and be like, you know, is my going counseling? Yeah. I kind of look at you funny and, and I'll say, like, oh, man, I've yeah. done a few sessions. It was really good. Mm. And then they kind of are like, oh. And then they'll book one in and be like, hey, yeah. I just booked a session in. Like, yeah, you start noticing yeah. once you've been vulnerable or you allow that kind of information about yourself that then you allow yourself to be a support person for that person as well, mm. like indirectly. Yeah, mm. and taking ownership of it. If, if yeah. it's something... Because obviously you can't, I, you know, I couldn't think of an example of all the different vulnerabilities that people have, but mm. taking ownership of it and then harnessing it and trying to use it in a good way mm. like that. And there's, look, I'm sure there's probably heaps of different things for me that I haven't figured out yet, like all of us, but, like, I do know a couple of things yeah. that I have been able to figure out yeah. and it's been really helpful, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it's so helpful to know what things trigger you and then sometimes it's around using that in really strategic kind of ways as well. Like I remember I was working with a young person and he was like, he was really quite shy about things and he was saying that um, his mum was an alcoholic or a drinker. Um, and I was like, cool, so do you recommend just like calling before 12 o'clock? And he was like, yes. Yeah. Interesting. Like, okay. Like not many workers kind of come up with that. And I'm like, yep, yeah, cool. And it's, you know, I'm not disclosing anything to him. But he's instantly gone, she knows mm. She knows what I'm talking about and she knows that, you know, you don't call an alcoholic after lunchtime. Like, no. It's just not really an ideal Rookie thing to mistake. do. Rookie. Rookie error. Yeah. Um, and for people that don't get what you're yeah. saying, it's because by lunchtime... They're okay. a bit drunk. Yeah, they're a bit drunk. It's 5 o'clock somewhere else and they're yeah. already 10 cans deep. Yep, and you may be on the phone for a really long time. Mm. And that's okay, but, like, to avoid that hour phone call, call before. And I think, you know, it's around allowing your young people to be vulnerable and then meeting that vulnerability with your own kind of understanding as well. And look, not everyone's going to have knowledge about everything, sure. but it's those little moments that you can pick and those little mm. moments that you can kind of meet a young person on their level. They're like, yeah, cool, she gets it. Mm. And it's also like there's a level of embarrassment there as yeah. well for the young person. And I think, you know, I can talk from personal experience, but also in a, in a professional manner for a young person to open up and say, oh, mm, do you really have to call my parent? And if you do have to call them, these are the specifics yeah. of when you can and can't because the responses outside of this might not be appropriate. That's actually such a massive and oh. courageous thing to say. Absolutely. And it's scary and it's embarrassing. You're like, who's going to take this information? Where is it going to go? And I think that's a massive lesson in, in working with people is that, you know, we take a lot of their information and, and where does that go for them? But um, I think for young people to be able to be perceptive of their environment and yep. their situation to best support them is so massive. Yep. And, and it would be the little things or the, the little acknowledgements of, oh, you know, maybe don't call dad 
before 5 p.m. because he works, you know, and dad's the breadwinner in the family. And if you call him in work hours, that's not going to be good for the family when he gets home. You know, he's been disturbed or, you know, not to call mum after midday because she'll be drinking or, you know, there is some pretty specific things for young people that you can pick out about how to best support them in their own peer networks. Yeah. But being able to do that in a manner that they don't feel embarrassed is massive. I think by sometimes making those comments, you you remove that element of embarrassment as well, mm. um, because you're just talking about it matter of factly. Yeah, like you know, it's like when you're asking those sometimes difficult questions. Sometimes it's just easier to just ask it rather mm. than trying to beat around the bush yeah. and make it into something massive. Like you know, what do you identify as? Who do you identify as? Like yeah. Like, who are you interested in? Males, females, neither. Yeah. Like, doesn't matter. Like, you know, what, like, just act in such a confident manner that then they don't have to feel like they have to double step and be like, I don't know how to answer this. Yeah. I think sometimes we just get so careful. But, you know, sometimes the more effective way is just to go straight in for it. It's a massive thing with suicide and self-harm. I remember when I started working at Corrections and you, you do the sash screen. Yeah. And so you do do the, all the questions and you get a yeah. score at the end and, and their total score is um, depending on what moves you have to make moving forward around their mental health and their suicidality and um, self-harm. And yeah. I think um, for me when I first started being like, do you want to kill yourself? Mm-hmm. As a question, I was like, can't fucking ask that. What do you mean? Yeah. And I, and I I would tiptoe around it and yeah. I'd be like, okay, so um, have you ever had any thoughts of... And, and then you, you just get to a stage yeah. now and even now, you know, I've had students observe me do assessments and they're like, you were just so confident in asking that person if they've ever harmed themselves or if they had thoughts of killing themselves. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I am, but I didn't start here. No. <laughs> it took me a while to nah. get here. Yeah. You know, it's, it's an uncomfortable subject for a lot of people and I think for me my own... My own personal experience in the situation, I had a, a really good friend of mine um, complete suicide when I was young. So asking those questions of other, other people, yep. I felt like a fraud a little bit, yep. being like, oh, you know, this has happened to my friend and I didn't sort of notice or observe this, so who am I to be asking you this question? Yep. Who is it? It's not my business sort of yep. thing. So I think it, it, it's definitely a confidence thing to build it. But you're right in saying if you go in with confidence, the young person doesn't feel like they need to respond a different way. Yep. Just flat out asking, you know, do you what do you identify as or, you know, do you want to self-harm or do yep. you ever self-harm or do you ever have thoughts of harming yourself? You know, for them it takes away the, oh, shit, what should yep. I answer and the awkward response for them. It's like a, oh, okay, yep. I'll just answer. 100% and even just having that knowledge as well, like, you know, I've noticed you've been using ice for a couple of weeks like a pretty known side effect is feeling pretty shit on the Mm. come down. Like, is that happening for you? Like, are you feeling pretty bad? And they'll be like, oh, yeah, like, I actually am. Like, I'm feeling pretty lousy. It's like, yeah, well, that's such a common um, feature for that to occur. Like, let's talk about it a bit. And just, like, having those really matter of fact because he was a bit nervous around saying, yeah, I do feel really low about that. But then it's around knowing, well, yeah, substances can make us feel pretty crap. Yeah. yeah. They don't call it a high for no reason. No, you've got to come back down. Mm. <coughs> I've had that vulnerability sort of in a different way as well um, and with it, with asking the straight question about like drugs and substances and things. Yeah. I remember sitting in a car driving, best best therapeutic space. Oh, absolutely. Favourite. Um, and I was like, how much does a point cost? And the kid looked at me and he's like, why? And I was like, well, I don't know. Mm. And he's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know everything. And I don't, like, I don't smoke mm. ice, so. Yeah. <laughs> I was 
cute. I'm serious. And he's like, he laughed. And then after that, we were getting into like yeah. points and then points yeah. and quarters yeah. and what's an eight ball and how much is this? Yeah. And, you, yeah. and we just went everywhere. But yeah. he, he kind of embraced the idea of me just being honest to me. Like, yeah. I don't know how much yeah. it costs. Yeah. And I'm just going to ask you straight up. Yeah. And Rather than going in saying, how much methamphetamines yeah. are you approximately using every day? Exactly. In yeah. one session, how much? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest part of my work in the role that I do now is like capacity building and secondary yeah. consult around supporting people in working with AOD. And one of the, like, I feel like people probably think I'm a bit of a wanker because I'm constantly <laughs> like, have curious conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Have curiosity, you know, and that doesn't, and I think maybe there's a little bit of us as human beings, and I, I'm, I'm probably guilty of it, that doesn't want to admit that they don't know something. Mm. Right. Yeah. And and so for a worker to then admit to to a client, what's an eight ball? I don't know what that is. Yeah. Or, um, you know, there could be a million questions mm-hmm. around that. Yeah. For them to turn around and say, I don't know what that is. Explain that to me. Yeah. Is actually such an amazing engagement oh, tool. Yeah. Because not yeah. only does that person now have the power changes. You are yeah. no longer the power here. Yeah. You're the learner and yep. they're the power. That empowers them to have conversations and to and to have knowledge and to, I guess, for them to have some agency over yep. their own life to communicate to you yep. their situation. Okay. It's actually... Control back. Yeah. yeah, and it's okay. I yeah. think one of the biggest things I learned even in doing the work that we do is I don't have all the answers. I will never have all the answers. No one will. Yeah. And that's okay. Absolutely. So I think, yeah, it's huge, it's huge to have those, like you've just said, those curious conversations. And even if you know the answer, you know, I, yeah. there is so many, like, times that I'm engaging with young people where I know, you know, that an eight ball is three point something grams yeah. or that I know what a quarter of a bag is or, you know, all of that. I don't need, they don't need to know that I know yeah. that though. So I'll be like, what? How much did you pay for a gram of ice? Or what? Two points? It's fucking wild. Like, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And, you know, and, they, and they, they're just like, they actually find it so interesting majority of the time that, one, I'm a drug and alcohol worker and I'm making jokes about, like, yeah. or not making jokes, but I'm inquiring about drug yeah. facts or drug um, statistics or whatever, and they're like, how the fuck do you know you know this? This, yeah. is, this is your job. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. it's such an actual, it's like a, an amazing engagement tool. So Absolutely. Or in your role, you're also catching money. Yes. I love <laughs> that. That's my favourite thing. Interesting. And I bought $200 no, it didn't. Oh, uh, bullshit. Or I got super high off. I don't, there's, I'm sure you've oh. got a million stories. They're like, oh, I took $7,000 on a fucking peaky and it's like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, they more. That's about it. I remember we, we, <laughs> I had, I, <laughs> we had one client one time that said um, they'd smoked, um, I think it was two or three bongs and it was 24 hours later and they were still high as fuck. And we were like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's flesh that out a little That's bit. A super strong marijuana. <laughs> That's some dope ass weed. <laughs> yeah, you get that. Yeah. That's so funny. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think we're wrapping this up. But before we let you go, oh. we have a cheeky question. This one wasn't talked to. I know. Before. We never tell you. We want you, to, we want you to think on the spot and hopefully you make up some words Ooh. in here. Yeah. If you had any words of wisdom or any pieces of advice to new and emerging workers into the field, what would that be? I think I've already spoken about it, curiosity. Um, I think I nearly stuffed up that word too. I (laughs) (laughs) pronounced it wrong. You had to do it one time. I have the tendency to make up words. Curiosity, we got it. Please don't 
listen to the podcast after you've already listened to it. Yeah, yeah please. Don't, don't review Nats. That's not That's that. another thing we've been doing this podcast. We don't fact check. So nah. anything that you said, we, we believe you. Yeah. Oh, great. Just yeah. Sick. That's like, um, who's that comedian? He's an, I think he's an Aussie, but he lives in the States now. Um, and he did that massive um, comic special on gun laws in America. Oh. Jim. Jim Jeffries. Jim, Jim Jeffries, right? Yeah. So he did that massive special yes. and he was like, what are you going to do? Get your fucking gun out of the safe. Hang on, don't rob me. Got to get my gun out. And like takes yeah. the whole piss, right? And so then his next stand up was, all right, I need to set, set, set some things straight. I, I, I didn't fact-check any of the statistics that I gave you. They were all bullshit. <laughs> but I'll run you through them and what I did, right? So, you know, we won't fact-check yeah. you either. This is a Jim Jeffries safe zone. It's a free space. Yeah. Um, yeah, it would have to be curiosity and it would have to be just being yourself and get to know the young person. Um, they are like a walking lie detector mm. <laughs> and they know everything and it's just be a genuine person um, and admit admit your vulnerabilities and admit your strengths. Like it's, yeah, I think just be curious in the space that you work in and you can't go too wrong. Just don't think you know it all because yeah. um, that's where sometimes I think you slip up a little bit, but just get to know the young person for who they are, not for what they are on the paper. Yeah. Awesome. Fantastic. Peace out. <laughs> <laughs> nah? Is that Thank not gangster enough? <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't really... That mark. I'm yeah. going to save that snippet and play yeah. it to your young people and they'll be so embarrassed <laughs> They'll be so embarrassed with me. They always are. Thank yes. you so much for joining us. Yeah, Thanks for having me. Really, really cool. Um, yeah, loved it. I'm going to love the place with that one. Yeah, sorry. No, love it. <laughs> That's what we want. It's the goal. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I uh, had some fun. See you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Knowledge on Tick. Please like and share the podcast, invite your friends and colleagues into the group and get in touch if there are any guest speakers you'd like to hear from or any topics you'd like covered. Take care and enjoy your week.